namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So as you probably recognize, being, being human is quite a workout. Um, and there's a mixture of hopes and aspirations and tremendous uh, resiliences, uh, spiritual qualities human beings have. They, and uh, also our... And, uh, lose it completely Mm. into addictions and violence and depression and uh, just being incarnate means we experience the pains and diseases and bereavement Mm. so this is I was just noticing the there's recent earthquakes in China. There's about you know forty, fifty thousand people killed, and just coming out of the nature of the earth and being incarnate on the earth. You know, so it's not even any acts of violence. Just that's what happens. And at those times, sometimes people bring forth their, their finest qualities, the ability to work and sacrifice and help each other and, you know, put aside all the small domestic disputes or uh, national quarrels or things of this nature, like they do with the tsunami. Mm, something very inspiring comes forth. Uh, we suddenly get bigger than our, we can be pretty small at times and tight and constrictive and lost in our own particularity. You know, or we could, something that can also be grand and uh, consider the welfare of others and do amazing things for the welfare of others. And you can recognize those dimensions in your own mind, I'm sure. In the sense of being able to be what we call big-hearted or broad-minded or be petty-minded and tight-fisted. <laughs> you know? It's interesting that those, those terms, which are so uh, picturesque and, and uh, colorful, really describe something we feel. We feel a kind of tightness or a constriction when we get narrow-minded and we feel rather more expansive we become big-hearted yeah. and when you you feel the two and you actually cut you know which one feels you feel you want to be with mm-hmm. 
which one is for your own welfare, the welfare of others, for the welfare of both. It's always the larger, the bigger, the wider, more spacious. So what goes wrong? How come? Well, you know, one way of looking at it is specifically, although there are tremendous uh, currents of ignorance or unknowing, getting the wrong kind of perspectives on things. Specifically, one specific, um, very specific point that the Buddha mentioned was just inappropriate or unwise or shallow attention. So this isn't, this is just the factor of mind. We always have attention. Some kind of attention is always operating. That you always However, you know, when you're attending to what you're doing, what you're thinking, what's happening around you, whether you're putting a lot of effort into it, or it's just kind of even a relaxed quality, you're noticing things, you're, you're, you're attentive, some degree of attention, and that's just a normal fact of mind. And uh, this is kind of what we train a lot in, in Dharma practice, we train attention. It's a normal thing we all have. Um, but if you notice, you notice it operates in certain modes. So when you come in here, you probably first of all have pretty big, wide attention, just check the whole space out. Where, what's going on here? What, what's this about? Then you start to focus in on particular points. Well, there's the monks, nuns, right? And then you see a particular point where you want to sit. And you come right down to something quite small, your own place. You get that, and then you start to widen up again. What's going on around here? And then something interests you, catches your attention, you narrow down on that. Well, that's not, you check that out. Oh, that doesn't matter, put that aside. So you've got this continual flexing of attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it operates from, if you say, a sharp point and also to a wide field. Is it? Yeah, so it does that. Yeah. And normally, you know, so we recognize this kind of modes that attention can move in. Mm-hmm. So when you cultivate attention, first we have to know what attention is. And uh, it's not just uh, a, a, one po- a, a tight point, it's also a wide field. And, and ideally, when you're trying to understand something, you want to be able to flex Check the whole thing out, come to one point, assess that. Is that it? No, maybe you've got the wrong point. Brought, widen out again, look again. And how, why do you do that? Why does the mind do that? Because it finds this particular point doesn't feel right, or it's uh, not making you feel comfortable, or it's not taking you anywhere good. And you get lost in the detail of the what somebody else is wearing, or something like that, you know, or a particular topic in your thoughts, you think, oh, this isn't taking me anywhere, just relax that. So you widen out again, and it drops away. Mm-hmm. And then you choose something else, or something else interests you. So this is process, and this is kind of what uh, it happens anyway, but with, with wise attention, or skillful attention, you're actually really wanting to look at the quality, the ethical quality of what one's attending to. 
Is it to do with uh, acquisitiveness, acquisition? Is it to do with uh, um, violence or hurtfulness or harming? Is it to do with blaming? Is it something that's obsessive or to do with fixations we have in our mind? So you look at, if you like, the, the quality of intention. Intention doesn't mean necessarily a deliberate, considered decision. It means you might fundamentally it means the the ethical impulse behind what we attend to. So we we can see we look at someone with a kindly eye, or we listen with a sympathetic ear. Yeah, we consider so. There's an intention behind that. Intention isn't necessarily trying to make anything happen. It's just that the it's just that which primes, that which sets up attention in a particular mode. Yeah. Of course, you can use that word intention to describe things you do deliberately act upon. But primarily, you know, when you as a, as a function in the mind, intention is just the you might say the ethical, uh, one of a better word, an ethical. Um, you know, really what it entails, um, what is ethical, what is, is both moral and compassionate. You know, in other words, for my welfare, for your welfare, for the welfare of both, it does no harm. Hmm? This is actually the reflection that the Buddha um, encouraged in himself when he was practicing as an unawakened being, just to consider where he was coming from, where his mind was coming from, you know, where his thoughts were coming from, where his acts of attention were coming from. You know, not the particular topics in themselves, which I'm sure, you know, minds can be littered uh, with all kinds of topics, you know, but uh, the fundamental ethical root of it. And he's began to recognize, well, when I have an in, an, uh, uh, some a mind that's based upon or intention that's based upon harming, hurting. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't do anybody else any good. It doesn't lead to release. It doesn't lead to calm. It doesn't lead to dispassion. It doesn't lead to letting go. It doesn't lead to nibbana. We have a mindset that's based upon holding, grabbing. You know, doesn't it? Doesn't lead me to release. Doesn't it means with sensory objects? It means if I get it, somebody else has it. So we get competitive, or we get jealous, or we get uh, craving, or you know. And then somebody else has got to back off. I get it, you don't get it, and then also your own, one's own mind becomes fixated upon that. Uh, yeah. People also violence. You know, we can cause um, to hurt, to harm, to blame, to punish, to seek revenge, to scold, to abuse. These mm, mindsets. And you know, the when you start to realize, contemplate this, you feel how unpleasant they are for once your own mind. You know, you just don't want to do it.
but uh, what inappropriate attention doesn't actually check it out. Inappropriate attention doesn't check out the roots, the ethical qualities, the whether this is for my well for your welfare. It, it's, uh, it doesn't go very deep. It just stays on the surface. And as you know, you know, on the surface of things, uh, greed becomes um, or development, or fun, or fancy that, or something like that. And aversion becomes something like it's his fault. <laughs> Or justice, or you know how uh, throughout history, human beings can commit acts of violence in the name using good words to do so, and it goes right. And of course, religions do that more than any other force, perhaps. So we take the idea of truth or love or right or whatever, and we hold that with a mind that actually doesn't have deep reflective attention. So we don't really see, feel what's happening when we hold that. So it's just an exercise, you know, just to, to not really kind of rush to, to, to rights and wrongs, and just to see, just to feel the quality of how one holds anything, other people, people's behaviour, particular topics. Because for awakening, sometimes we have to really take the blinkers off and see just where ignorance, where the confusions, where the inappropriate attention is resting. And these will be the things that come running into the mind. These are things that come running in barging in, jumping in. And of course we can, you know, just be scurrying around, you know, random thoughts, worries, concerns, anxieties, irritations, resentments, um, things we fancy, things we like to do, things we want to be, things we want to go, places we want to go. And it's kind of comparing this or that or this or that or this or that or this or that. And uh, maybe we, you know, um, sometimes just, or even getting a feeling for it. It feels intense, it feels heated, it feels jagged, it feels ragged. So then you think, oh, well, I had to calm it down or quieten it down. But it doesn't happen just like that. Because there's a particular kind of attention that's needed for calm. And it's not the intention, it's not based upon the intention to, to um, repress or to, it's based on the intention to calm. Which means you sort of widen your mind, widen your focus, steady. Find a place where you feel steady, breathing in, breathing out. Drop the topic altogether for a moment, breathe in and breathe out. Find the feeling in your body, widen, steady, find the ground, find some space, you know, where you've got a little bit of space from the thoughts and the emotions in the mind, and then just bring up the intention of goodwill, steadying, calming. You know? So that, that's 
So you come out of the grip of those, all that activity. And what I would suggest is very useful is to just get the process instead of finding fault with or having issues with what's going on in your mind, just to check the mode of attention, first of all. Because what we all know, you know, we meditate, we want to meditate, it would be nice to be peaceful, goodwill, you know, calm down, quiet down. Um, you know, it doesn't always happen, does it? You know, how many meditation periods you spend just regurgitating thoughts and things that we're going on in the day or worries or concerns we have, you know? Or, or getting irritated with yourself. Oh, shut up, stop this thinking. You know? or, or actually just building up um, fantasies in the mind, projects, ideas, trips of one kind or another, you know, kind of escalating it. Because what's happening you know, when you notice that is your attention is still quite narrow. It's just a narrow attention. And all a narrow attention can do is hold a point. So it goes from one point to the next point to the next point to the next point to the next point. It does that. Yeah. It doesn't have the width. So to widen your attention, to get some space, you get some ground, get some space. Um, and then that allows you to, that, that quality of that action that attention is capable of, of widening, of flexing, enables you to kind of see past the immediate topic into the, the heat that's underneath it. Yeah, what's cooking it? Sometimes just widening it, the the thing drops well together by itself. A lot of what you might say static. That's just the random thoughts, random impressions, comings and goings, memories, dreaminess. Widen your attention. Some of that will just basically just stop altogether. Just quietens down. Not because you've had ill will towards it or you're trying to figure it out, but just because the act of widening your attention. Hmm? How do you widen attention? Well, you can do it with your eyes, the start, we can all do that. You can do it by uh, sensing your whole body or even beyond your body, the space around your body. So those can be ways in which you, you use something else to act as a, a vehicle. You know, so you're feeling uh, what's happening in my shoulders, what's happening in my shoulders and hips, what's happening in the shoulders, hips, knees, what's happening in the whole body. You widen your attention without focusing on any particular detail. You just want to get the whole gestalt, the whole picture of it. And in that broadening your attention, then the particular details no longer have the same impact. For example, as you know, you, you just with your eyes, if you have your eyes at a very wide focus, say, you know, then the specific details start to become fuzzier. Mm-hmm. So sitting here, if I focus on everything in my 
visual span, the particular details become less impacting. Hmm? So attention affects contact. So if your attention is wide, the actual quality of contact is less impacting. If your attention is very narrow, the quality of contact is accentuated. You know, when you go to to a uh, doctor or dentist, you have somebody stick a needle in you, you focus right on that point, that becomes accentuated. The sensations there become accentuated. If you widen your attention, it's just... um, a small point, yeah. So once you get begin to sense how you can use your whole physical form for that as a vehicle, use the hearing sense as a vehicle and widen it out through hearing to the listening sense. And eventually, you can just do it with your mind l- alone with the mind base alone, it's widening your mind. It's rather like learning to listen to each other. Really listen. Mm-hmm. Without that jumping up to input, to act, to react. So attention affects contact. Affects what you feel impinged by. How intense it feels how um, sharp it feels. Attention, contact and intention are the three factors that come together to um, give us a specific location at any particular moment. What's bothering me? Contact. And that's holding my attention and then behind that comes the intention of, you know, I feel it irritated by this or excited by this. So these three factors, attention, intention and contact, form the locus of our awareness at any particular time. They form it. They embed it. So we end up then operating in terms of that particular point. Something's got on on my mind, something's stuck in me. It feels stuck. And... uh, you know, it's causing me, bothering me, whatever. You know? And when the attention isn't skillful, all that it does is it stays on that point, the same point, and it thinks about it, or it wonders about it, or it wriggles with it, or it obsesses with it, or it relishes it, or it, it just, the intention remains incapable of release, it doesn't release proliferates. So you get a particular problem or a point and just think about it, concern with it, worry about it, why is it like this, why do I have that? It just goes on and on around that point. There's no release from it. Contact, attention and intention. That's what happens. And we get embedded. Yeah. We get really embedded. Yeah. So this is uh, karma, starts there, you know, we, we find ourselves mentally engaged with that. We feel ourselves defined by the things that we're stuck with, 
whether it's someone else's problems, our own difficulties, our own interests, pursuits, roles, identities, you know, positions we take, opinions we have, what we feel ourselves belonging to becomes a point we feel defined by, we act in accordance with that in our lives. This is samsara. It's not necessarily bad, it just goes on. Some of it's quite, you know, good, but it goes on. That's what it means, really. It's not a judgment, it's just the understanding. It just goes on and on and on and on. This is it, you know, this is, this is it. And every now and then there's some kind of cry of the spirit of, wow, well, could get it, you know, something must be beyond this or get out of this or release from that. Yeah. And maybe you look at somebody else's stuff, think, I'd like to be his or her particular pattern. They've got, you know, but it's their location in samsara, what they're doing. <laughs> so then you can fixate on another thing. Yeah. So we can move from that into even spiritual practices where you can fixate upon something. And sometimes meditation itself we approach it as another fixation. You know, find the thing, rivet yourself onto a particular point, hold it, get concentrated, and then you, the other stuff falls, isn't there. Which, yeah, yeah, that could do that. But how long do you want to be fixated for? Is, there, is that release? It isn't the way the Buddha taught it. You, you lot really um, said that the, one of the key factors was this quality of skillful, deepening, widening, appropriate attention. Yonisomanasikara. And so it's a reflective practice. So you reflect, you turn it around, you look into the underlying tendencies. So that's what happens when you widen. Uh, and you begin to acknowledge there's this this interesting process, it's a recognizable sense of 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 wide width or breadth or span and depth. Which always takes us to a better place in ourselves. Widening and deepening takes us to a better place in ourselves. It's not the most immediate place we go to. First of all, we tend to jump to another point, another happy point, another exciting point, another interesting point, or something grabs the eye or grabs the ear, grabs the mind, and we jump to that. Uh, and it takes, I guess, time to recognize this jumping and being grabbed itself. That's, that's a problem. That's not, that's not helpful. It's not really the things in themselves, but the grabbing and jumping, being grabbed. 
and how we lose mindfulness, how we lose balance, how we get biased, how we get fragile. Because we hang on to something. We get upset, it's demise. We hang on to an opinion, we become intolerant, difficult to live with. So one of the most immediate reflections is just this reminder. You know, is it for my welfare? Is it for other people's welfare? Is it for the welfare of all, both of us? And that's a widening, isn't it? Yeah. Why the primary paramita is generosity, sharing, be generous. This isn't a, you know, it's obviously it's going to help others, but to really get the understanding, this is for one's own benefit. To have that quality of, of giving, of sharing, considering others' welfare. Feeling that one's, one's welfare and the welfare of others are intimately connected. And there's something immediate that we can do with that. It's an immediate thing we can do. Yeah? It's not a stunningly brilliant new ideology or position or religion. It's a basic thing that human beings do. And develop that and feel what it feels like. Generosity. Morality. What it feels like when we have concern, sensitivity for other people. How we act, how our speech, how our body movements, our physical actions, our attitudes affect others. So this isn't just the kind of right, wrong, you know, uptight fundamentalism, but a sensitivity. Only we feel gentle, peaceful, balanced with that. Renunciation. What it's like when we recognize particular things we can, we can do without. We can put it aside. We don't have to be demanding and needy. We can be bigger than this. Renunciation. It's a kind of heavy word. Because for most, a lot of people, these qualities are carried out with a certain moralizing, righteous tone. You know, you should be generous, you know. Pass the hat, you kind of put in your back pocket and kind of guilty fashion, put your 50p in the plate or whatever it is and your conscience is cleared, you've done the bit. Morality comes around with punishment. Punishment and praise and moralising. And uh, renunciation comes across as kind of um, puritanical. Because that's what happens when we, we... carry these things through as ideas and you can feel when they're carried to it and they, they tighten you know, you can feel your attention tighten up then you know that whatever the sound of it is or the idea of it is actually the quality of the intention is, is, is imbalanced yeah. so you see when you take renunciation and you tighten up around it you get fundamental purita- puritanical you know, or, or asceticism when you take morality and you tighten up around that, you get righteousness. Yeah. And this is kind of history, isn't it? You get, uh, I was reading some kind of 
articles on some of these um, early puritanical sects and how they would start off as some kind of reform movement and then they get down into details about how wide a hat you could wear. If the brim of your hat was an inch too wide, it was considered to be you know, sinful and you'd be shunned. Or if your woman wore a button on her dress, it was considered sinful and she'd be shunned. You know, so it was actually looking for tinier and tinier points. Or one of them was even how many pleats you could have in your bonnet. If you're a one pleat person, that was okay. If you're a two pleat person, you're Jezebel. <laughs> so you could get it down to things like that, you know. What's actually happening for the sake of what sounds like, okay, you know, let, let's not be vain or, or proud or and so forth. But actually you come down to holding with a tight mind. You get into this kind of pickiness where everybody's continually shunning each other and splintering up into smaller and smaller groups and purer and brighter than everybody else and won't talk to their cousins because she had an pl- extra pleat in her bonnet. You know, or he wore shoelaces that were considered too lavish or something like that. And actually, this happens. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making it up. What happened, you know, for the sake of purity? Hmm? What does it feel like? Yeah. And then, what do I do? You know, what, when when do I get like that? Not over. I don't have a bonnet to have pleats in. You know, but can, can I actually own up to myself as where I can sense it—the tightening, the constricting. Uh, not because I particularly focusing the skill away, but it's, I'm actually compelled. There's a pull to tighten up. There's righteousness or there's, um, you know, something of that nature. So sharing, you see, the skillfulness of a simple thing like acknowledging other people. <laughs> we share it, don't we? We share this planet, we share the world. We mean something to each other. We affect each other. Whether we want to or like it or not, that's what happens. And there's something in that that is for our welfare. Something that can go incredibly tangled up when we get obsessive about it, (coughs) but you can turn it the other way, wide your attention, and it becomes a skillful measuring stick. So the first quality of of intention, the first, you might say, directive (coughs) that we bring into mind when we meditate, and it's it's almost the first one you want to have coming out, is find some ground, steady, and just widen a little bit, take it in. Just, you know, don't 
rush forward, don't rush back, don't grab a point, just steady down, widen. And it has a calming effect. Your first intention is calming, steadying, calming, being coming into the present moment. Widening attention doesn't mean scattering over a hundred different objects or running out. It means keep your center, keep the ground, keep your sense of presence, widen and bring yourself into the present moment. So that sense of widening but also sharpening. Sharpening by being more immediate. And these are the, the two modes of attention, skillful attention will take you into the basis of what's stirring for you. A lot of stuff will just be skimmed off by that. And you come down to things that are really meaningful for you at this time, whether they're meaningful in a, an unpleasant way, you know, or they're meaningful in a pleasant way with their aspirations or desperations. And then, then those are the places that you start to attend to skillfully in line with the Four Noble Truths. And where's this stress, suffering, hmm, there's a release of this. There's a way to release that through wise attention, skillful attention. So we you know, train in that because intentions are the things that lead our lives and all the time every thought we have is pushed by a particular intention it's not a decision it's just an impulse the intention for well-being the intention for Stability, the intention to know something, to make something comfortable, the intention to unskillful intentions to harm, to hurt, to shut down or whatever. All the time our attention is pushed by that. It's just, you know, it's not a decision, it's just what's what happens. That's what attention is doing. So the ones that dominate, the ones that come out first the ones that get the most exercise are the ones that are going to lead you. The ones that come out first, the ones that get most of this exercise, the ones that always run, they're the horses that come out of the stable first, those are the horses that are going to lead you. Yeah? It's just fact, isn't it? You know, the ones you use most get the most usage, they get stronger, and they jump out and run out of the stable first. So what you want to have coming out first is, wait, what's going on? Check it out. Let's be wise. That's the one you want to have coming out first. <laughs> because then, you know, it can decide which other, whether, how you want to follow through on that. The first one has to be wisdom. The intention to, first of all, make your attention appropriate. Train that one. That's the one that comes out first. You're going to live your life more consciously, less mishaps, less regrets, less chaos. You know, it's come out clear. This is training, dumber training. You can call it meditation, but really it's something to 
training bring to mind every time you feel those something grab you every time you feel a door standing in front of you whether it's physical, psychological whether you feel it's the beginning of the day or it's a decision you have to make or it's what to do about something just first of all stop, widen, broaden attention so that what's going to come out behind that are the skillful ones because that's the nature of clarity when we're not confused what comes out are skillful intentions intentions of harmlessness intentions of of truthfulness the intentions of kindness the intentions of clarity and and conscientiousness those what come out behind but if you don't lead it if you don't establish wise attention, then they've got less possibilities of coming out. This is why wise attention, skillful attention, deep attention is the specific uh, particular factor that we can cultivate to reveal our confusions clarify and release our confusion. Mm. Anyone?